Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. There are two books in the Bible particularly that can really test our faith. And one of them is Job and the other is Ecclesiastes, which is another book I love to teach. Ecclesiastes is a great book for someone who's searching about Christianity and has the same struggles as we face in the book of Job, the question of why. Here in Ecclesiastes, Solomon had everything anyone in the world could ever want, and yet life was meaningless to him. So we're diving into Job here. I hope you've been encouraged thus far. Your faith may have been tested, but it's going to be refined like gold. And so when tragedy strikes, how should we respond? And we're looking at the life of Job to determine how we should respond. And he responds in five different ways. Let's read Job chapter 1, verse 20. When all he heard all this bad news, at this Job got up and tore his clothes and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So in this incredible loss of all of his fortune and all of his family, his children, Job responds this way. Number one, Job grieves. He tears his robe and shaves his head, and that was a sign of grief in that day. And God, is a, God has given us grief as a way for us to cope with loss. There, the, like Jesus said, in this world you'll, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so God acknowledges there's problems in the world, but there's solutions. God brings the solutions. And so grief is one of those gifts. God has helped us endure a fallen world and when there's loss. And we grieve as Christians with hope. We, those that don't have hope, how can they grieve and ever recover? And we are comforted in our grief so that we'll comfort other people in their grief. That's another thing with the power of the family of God, the power of the church. You know, there, there are moments where we see what God intended for the church to be. And in loss and grief, I love how the church comes together and tries to encourage one another during those times. And if God has comforted you, guess what? You're going to get a chance to comfort somebody else someday. And that's why it's important for us to heal. Because... God's going to use us somewhere, sometime, someday to reach out to someone when they need it most, and they'll be going through a similar thing that you've gone through. So that's part of grief is, is receiving that comfort, knowing that someday we can give it to someone else. And so that was Job's first reaction. He grieves. Very normal, very understandable. Number two, Job worships. Now, this is amazing. He falls down and worships God. And it may have seemed like the most unnatural thing to do at that moment. I mean, grief is natural. That, uh, surely when we experience a tragedy, grief is the reaction. But worship is something you have to choose to do. It doesn't come naturally, especially at a time like this. And worship during crisis is the greatest expression of faith. If you can worship God, if you can fall down and worship God when things are going bad. And I challenged you last week that anything that went bad this week to worship God when it happened. Did you, did you remember to do that when so-and-so cut you off in traffic or 
you know, a check bounced or whatever it may be, when something bad happened, instead of getting angry or upset, you chose to worship. How many know that would be a great habit to learn? Every time something bad happens, instead of complaining or getting upset, we would say, you know, I'm going to worship God. The devil might get tired of messing with us if, if, we, if we would do that as a habit. And so Job could worship God because it was his custom. It was natural for him because he worshiped the Lord all the time. Worship needs to be a lifestyle for us, not something we just do on Sunday. Because worship isn't about a place, it's about our heart. And we can, have, we can worship anytime, anywhere. And God is not just seeking worship, he is seeking worshipers. And there's a difference. Anybody, anybody can express worship, but not everybody is a worshiper. A worshiper is someone who has made worship a lifestyle. And that's what God wants. He wants relationship. He, you know, he, he receives our worship, but what he really wants to receive is us. He wants, he wants relationship with his people. So we've seen first reaction, grief. Second reaction is worship. His third reaction, number three, Job surrenders. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Letter A, Job believes God caused his loss. We're going to find this as we study Job. All along, Job's going to keep asking God, why did you do this to me? I didn't deserve this. And so he, by saying that the Lord has taken away, he is saying that he believes God took everything from him. God took his fortune. God took his family. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And this is, this is amazing. Letter B. And yet he worships the very one he believes took everything away. Wow. I mean, it's one thing to worship God, but Job believes that God is responsible for what he's lost, and yet he still worships God anyway. Now that is faith. Now we're going to realize that did God, did God really cause his loss? We're going to discuss that a little bit tonight. But uh, the important thing to understand is Job thought so. Job thought God did this. God gives and God takes away. And just by that statement, which is a powerful statement of faith, but it's also a statement that he feels God's responsible for everything he's lost. He's not blaming God because that would be crossing a line perhaps, but he is acknowledging, he believes God did this. And so, letter C, Job's falling down in worship is a sign of surrender and acceptance of the sovereign will of God. So, this is an amazing profession of faith. Job is saying, you know what? I surrender. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It's a, he is coming to a place of acceptance. Now, the five cycles of grief are eventually to bring us to the place of acceptance. We have anger, bargaining, all those cycles, and we may repeat some of them. The whole point of the cycle of grief is once you've run through the cycle enough times properly, then you come to this resolution where you accept the loss, you accept what's happened, and you attempt to move on. And so Job is... He grieved, and yet he's already bringing himself to a place of acceptance. This happened. And, and more than just acceptance, surrender. You know, when we uh, 
come to Christ, we are to surrender all, as the old hymn, I surrender all. And, and this is important. A lot of our journey with God is going to be us surrendering to his will. Now, we can fight it. We can resist it. But ultimately, God's will shall be done in the earth. We have free will, though, and we can choose to... You know, at this point, Job could have immediately began to argue against God. But at this point, now he will have some words to discuss with God. But at this point, he surrenders. And I, I, I want us to understand, and I'm going to mention a little bit more about this on Sunday. A lot of our frustration and angst and, and worry and anxiety and all of those things are because we are trying to take control. Control of our lives, control of the people in our lives, control of the circumstances, and we can't, we're not successful, we're not God, and yet we try to be in people's lives. We try to take, you know, your, your life would be better if they would just shape up and follow your lead, right, and fit into your schedule. Life would be better. If you could just control everybody around you, and then God gives you children who you can never control what they're going to do. It's, it's just crazy. But in the same way, we try to control God. I want you to understand that when, we, when Job fall, fell down in worship, he wasn't trying to manipulate God. That was from the heart. But there are those that feel like, you know, God, I've been faithful. I haven't sinned in five minutes. You owe me. And that there's a way that we can manipulate God with our righteousness. And the reality is, is that's... that's the danger we come at a point like this when a tragedy happens, we try to figure it out and we try to force it out. Yes? Right. Exactly. Yes. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away that statement. Yes. I think you're exactly right. It is a profession that Job recognizes. Now, he realizes he's not in control. And it is a profession of faith that God is. And what's interesting is remember when Job would sacrifice for his children. In a way, he was trying to control what would, might happen to them because he was afraid. It's what it says. He was afraid his kids had sinned, so he would bring this sacrifice almost as a way to try to placate God. But because of, he lost the very kids he would sacrifice to, he comes to this statement. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. In other words, all my sacrifices didn't manipulate God. And so I, I have to step back and say, God's in control and I'm not. I think that's an excellent insight you've expressed because for him to even be able to acknowledge that and later on his wife is not at the same place. 
She, she struggles with, and, and Job tells her, should we not accept bad from God as well as good? Which is again, Job saying that he thinks God did something bad in this case. And the, the thing is, is Job does not even realize the devil's in the middle of this. That whole, that whole scene was played out without Job's knowledge. And so he doesn't know that the devil did this. He thinks God did it. But for him to still be able to say, I mean, you've lost your 10 children. For him to be able to say, Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Even though he is saying God takes away, he is still making an incredible profession of faith. Excellent point. That God is in control. Now, we're going to get to a place, can we do that? Whatever happens. And I'm not talking about even just the tragedies, the disappointments of life. You know, those, those small disappointments of life that, that are like a thousand cuts. We die of a thousand cuts, of a thousand disappointments. And so, to, unless we can't... And disappointment is usually an, the inability to accept the sovereignty of God. Because we often say, Lord, if it's your will, I want this. And then if God says no, we get upset because we really weren't submitted to his sovereignty. We wanted what we wanted. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we don't get what we want, there's disappointment. And this is the challenge. Because we, if we cannot make this profession of faith in the small disappointments of life, how can we in the great tragedies of life? This is where our faith is being refined. So, letter D, Job acknowledged that he came into this world empty-handed and will leave it the same way. We all will. We came in with nothing. Guess what? We'll leave with nothing. As the old saying, you can't take it with you. And this is directly from Scripture. A lot of people say things that aren't from Scripture, uh, but this does come from Scripture. 1 Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. My, you know, some of us had a mama that said, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. <laughs> That's the one person that can do it, is mama. Job realized, and this is important, Job realized, and, and maybe not before this, but he realized that he is just a steward of his wealth and his children. We don't own anything as Christians. We surrender it all. We are managers of God's resources. Now that may be great resources or small resources. That's God's choice. He blesses the work of our hands. The Bible says God gives the ability to make wealth. And so whether we have great wealth or small wealth, it belongs to God. It's not ours. Our children were dedicated to God. They don't belong to us either. I've had to remind myself many times. In fact, uh, I was at a church in Longview, Washington, and I got the call. This is before cell phones. Jolene called in a frantic. Uh, Josiah was about a year old, a year and a half old, and he was sitting in his high chair bouncing, <laughs> and it came unattached, and he fell through and caught his mouth on the leg of the table, the metal leg of the table, and there's blood everywhere. His lip is split wide open. It's like going to need stitches. She called the church. Somehow we answered the phone, and she said, you've got to come here right now. And uh, so we, we rushed. I rushed to, to go see him, and 
you know, God actually did a miracle because that, that lip that seemed split when we got cleared all the blood away, it, it was just split a little, not as bad as we thought, didn't require stitches. But that rattled me as a new, new father and my pastor, Pastor Gary Peters, kept telling me, remember, you dedicated him to the Lord. He belongs to the Lord. Don't get so upset. You're just going to have to trust the Lord. We have to trust the Lord with our children because we can't be there the whole time. And especially when they become adults and make their own decisions, we have to trust God even more. But remember, they're, they're not yours. They're God's. He has loaned them to you. That's what baby dedication is all about, is that acknowledgement that God has given us these children and we have to be just good stewards of how we raise them. And there's a part of that that is also liberating because when your children do go astray, if they go astray, you're able to once again remind yourself they're gods. They belong to the Lord. And we may not be able to do anything about it right now, uh, but God can God will not leave them alone. He is a better parent than we are. So Job, by him saying, Lord gives and Lord takes away, he acknowledged that nothing really belonged to him. The donkeys, the camels, the sheep, the oxen, even his children. Now the thing is, is the, the key, Paul said, is to be content. In fact, we use that scripture, I can do all things through Christ. It's in the context of I've had plenty and I've had nothing. I've learned the secret of being content. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's, it's about the content. Contentment is what that scripture is about. And so if we can become content, we can have great resources or few resources and still have joy and peace. And so in a sense, Job is expressing that though he has lost everything, there is a sense of contentment because if we're content, if we're discontent with our lives, then we're discontent with our God because God gave us these lives. If we're discontent with our finances, then we're discontent with God who gave us these finances. And, and it's, it's the, the secret of happiness in life is not wealth. The secret of happiness is contentment. And, and Job is, this is his amazing faith. He is expressing that in, these, in this context. Now, letter E, and Ike, you mentioned this. It is true that the Lord gives for all good, the good in our lives comes from him. All good gifts, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Anything good in your life, anything good in the world came from God. God is, it's, it's, it's one of the attributes of God is goodness. He's always good. Anything good in your life is from God. And this is, the way we arrive at contentment is through being thankful. That's how, because contentment is, doesn't come naturally you have to stir it up. You have to create it. And the way we create contentment is by being thankful for what we already have. And so thankfulness will bring a place of contentment in our life. And start thanking God for the good in your life. All, we, all the good we have in life is 
is, comes from God. So why do we focus more on the bad? I believe, and I think we could, if we would put on the scales, I believe there's more good in life than bad. By far. But, so why do we focus so much on the bad if it's so much less? Interesting. It, it is impressed on the mind, uh, negativity, and dwelling on the bad. And the only way to get it out is to dwell on the good, but it, it'll take a little longer. I've read some scientific research along those lines, so I think what you said is accurate. Uh, and so that's the danger, is dwelling on the bad. So why do we do it? <laughs> if there's more good in our life, yes. Good point. And so it's hardwired into our DNA that we got to look for the lion that'll lead us or the storm that's going to blow us away. And so it's just natural for us. You're, you're right. The fight or flight syndrome is hardwired into our, our psyche, our DNA. And so because life wasn't always as good as it is now. Yeah, you had to worry about the storms or the lion or, or whatever it may be. I, you know, Jolene loves Little House on the Prairie. It is her favorite show. I hate it. I absolutely hate it because there's a tragedy in every episode, right? Storm's coming. Paul loses the cow, you know, and I just, I hate, I hate that show because it's, it's always something bad happens because they're living in the, you know, 1800s and outhouses and storms and all crazy stuff and but things have gotten better in the world. Things have gotten worse, too. And other, you know, the, the Bible says that it will grow more darkness. But so part of that is hardwired. We have to change it. And that is by the Spirit. It's by the Word of God. Now, fight or flight is a, not a bad thing because we still need that. Should I cross the street with this truck barreling down or not? It can save our life. A little fear is good. If it's, if it's a defensive fear or a protective fear, the problem is, is we're afraid of things that don't exist instead of real danger like people used to have. Excellent point. Yes. It goes back to the question, why? <laughs> if something good happens, I think in, in deep inside, we think we know why. Because we've earned it. That's what they believed in this day. You know, if you're good, good things happen. And so maybe deep inside, when good things, we're not as quick to praise God. <laughs> and, and that's the danger. Sometimes the danger is in blessing, not curses. Because the what happens so often, I've seen it happen so many times, that we, we, we have prosperity to the point where we think it came from our own hand. Mm 
And that's, and the Satan's always trying to do that to get us to think we earned it. We did it. Whereas the Bible again says that he gives the ability to create wealth. God creates wealth through us, but it comes from him. And so that danger of, you know, is we, and that's why we have to be thankful. Because thankful puts the credit onto God. God, thank you for this job. Thank you for these, these resources. Thank you for these things in my life. That will keep away the pride. Because the pride is insidious. It'll start seeping its way. I've seen it so many times in people's lives where they first were very grateful for the gifts of God, but then if you don't stay worshiping God, you'll gravitate away from that gratitude and start to think that, you, that we've done this in our own hand. And then we're in danger of losing it all. But, so, so many more good things happen to us than the bad things, and yet we still dwell on the bad things. In fact, we'll, st- we'll dwell on the bad things before they've even happened, so we'll ruin the good things by dwelling on the bad things. Bad things a lot of times have pain attached to it. Yes, which is, which, which is another thing that really ingrains it, yeah. Good times have some happiness, but not to the depths of the pain of the bad times. And I think everyone wants to be free from pain, and that's why it's so hard. Yes? That's excellent. If you've ever read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, the demons try to sow seeds of, of discord and discontentment. It, the devil does not want us to have joy, and he does not want us to give God glory for it. That's an excellent point. Part of this is demonic. That's the problem. It's not physical. It's spiritual, and that's the battle we have to fight in the spirit. Good point. Yes? So that's a, that's a great question. And, and if he does, right. We're actually going to address that just down the road. You're, you're in the spirit, Jay. And the thing is, is... Um, one of the things that's important to note, Job did not sin in what he said, but I wonder what he thought. <laughs> and there is a big difference to keep it inside than to speak it out. Because, you know, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So sometimes, it's, even if we're thinking the wrong thing or thinking the bad thing, don't say it. Don't, don't profess it because it gives it power. Anything verbalized has greater power, you know, positive or negative. And so that's why we, we, the Bible's all about vocal praise, you know, and praising with the guitars and all this, because it needs to be vocal. So there's two points you've made. One, is Job partially right that God did take away? And then my thought is, 
he did he sin in what he didn't sin in what he said, but who knows what he was thinking? <laughs> well, actually, we're going to find out what he was thinking because he tells us later on, and it's 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 interesting. By you know, in in many ways, so all the all the good in life, even for bad people, comes from God. God is good even to bad people. In fact, it's through, the book of Romans says, it's through his kindness that led us to repentance. It's because of God's kindness when we were unsaved and good things happened to us. And people are quick to blame God for the bad things, but when God showers people with good, it's, it's hard to deny that there's a greater power. And so, letter F, God even shows kindness to the wicked. God is so good, but he's not just good to good people. And that's the problem with Job's theology. God is only good to good people. God is only bad to bad people. And so God is having to adjust his theology that God is even good to bad people. Now, is God bad to good people? That's the question that we may not answer today, but uh, we'll, we'll at least touch base on it. Matthew 5.45 he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God blesses the wicked and in many ways, God's trying to reach them and in many ways, we should express the same way, kindness, because it'll lead to re people to repentance. There's two ways we can approach people. Tell them how to get to heaven or tell them that they're going to hell <laughs> and both are true, but you know, we really want them to know the Lord through his kindness. Yeah, because it, but th then Romans goes on to say, if you reject his kindness, you will suffer his wrath. So we better accept God's kindness because if, if we spurn his kindness, then we suffer his wrath. So the question is, did God take away? We know he gave. All good gifts come from God. So all the prosperity, all the wealth, his children all came from God. So in his statement, the Lord gives is accurate. But then when he goes on, and the Lord takes away, is that accurate? Well, let's, let's touch base on this. It was Satan who did the taking, wasn't it? Literally, directly, it was the devil. Now, God allowed it. He said, you may go this far. In fact, God set strict boundaries. You cannot, you cannot touch his body. You can touch everything he owns, but you can't touch him, the man himself. So God set a limit, but God didn't do it. Satan is the one that did it. He's directly responsible. God gets blamed for things that aren't his doing, but the devil's doing, or just the fact we live in a fallen world. But... Many times, God is not responsible for our loss. It may be Satan or it may be the people Satan uses. Letter G. While Job's acceptance of the will of God is commendable, he is mistaken as to the identity of the one who has taken these things from him. Job isn't even thinking about the devil. He's not even having any question. And many times, we're the same way. Just as we were discussing earlier, we got problems going on in our life and we can't figure it out. It's spiritual. There's a devil and there are demons. 
And we need to awaken ourselves to that and do spiritual warfare to push back the darkness. So we did not earn it and we don't deserve it. All we have comes from God by his grace. And is this a true statement? It is within God's right to give and to take away because it's his anyway. Remember, we're just stewards. We're managers. And so in that sense, God did take away because it belongs to him. His children belong to him. Job's possessions belong to God. So God didn't take from Job. In, in this sense, God took what was belonged to himself. That's important for us to understand, right? That's why we, we possess our possessions. We don't let our possessions possess us. That's the danger. Because if, it, if we realize, oh, this new car, I love this new car. Nothing wrong with having a new car. I love a new car, just the smell alone. Yeah, I love a new car. I like new things. I don't like used things. But we got a new car. Guess what? It's God's. It belongs to him. And so if uh, you see these videos on TV, people trying to drive a Lamborghini for the first time and crash a $200,000 car. And I, I can't just imagine how, how sick you must feel just to drive it off the lot because they can't control it. They don't know what they've got. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, we'll feel the loss, but we're also able to say it's not mine anyway. Because sometimes... We can go too far with material things, losing material things. Yes? God allowed Satan to take his possessions, but they are God's possessions. Exactly. And they are God's children. Now, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to just throw this out there. I'm not going to answer it tonight. Now, we know at the end of, this, of the book, Job gets double what he lost, double for his trouble, except for what? His children. God didn't give him 20 kids. He just gave him 10. So there's, and, and it's all in the same context. God gave him back his, all, you know, he had now had a thousand heads of oxen. Everything's double, everything's double. And then he had, Seven sons and three daughters. Why not 14 sons and six daughters? Why wouldn't God give back those children, Ronnie? Right. It's a good point because Satan is not really, does not figure prominently in the Old Testament as much as he does in the New Testament. And I think that's because we have the Holy Spirit and we're able to identify him more. But there is, it is a good point. A lot of the ancients didn't know who the devil was at first. But, but we do see, I think the first, obviously from Genesis, the serpent, it's in the beginning of the Old Testament, but it's, he's called the serpent that whole time. We know it's the devil because later scripture says so. But you're right, Job may have not been aware of the devil's existence. That's a possibility. If you think about it, Satan's trying to make a fool of God. Right, right. Right. Exactly. And Job doesn't know this contest is going on. Exactly. 
And so you're, you're right. He may not even have figured devil in the question. I don't think there's anywhere else in the book of Job that mentions the devil. I'll have to double check on that other than these first two chapters. So, yeah, Job may not even have known there was such a thing. And, and there are people that are oblivious to the spiritual realm as well, even as, as in modern day. So, excellent point. Yes? Interesting. That's that's a that's a strong possibility. Now it, it is something that, that that some people believe that the reason he only got seven sons and three daughters is because he has the other ones in heaven, so they were doubled. But there's another theory that I'm not going to explore tonight. There are those that believe that the reason God didn't give him new children is because he rose the others from the dead. No scriptural evidence for that, but it's a theory. So we'll, we'll, that's, a, that's a rabbit trail we won't take tonight. We'll wait till we get there in 16 years at the end of the book. So, it's... God gives and God takes away because it belongs to him. He has that right. You know, if you, if you lend someone to somebody, you, you, have, you still own it. It's still yours. And so God has the right to take anything that belongs to him. And the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So everything belongs to God. So, and, and yet, there are gifts God never takes away. Look at Romans eleven twenty nine 29 in the Amplified Bible. For God's gifts, speaking primarily of spiritual gifts and ministry gifts, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He never withdraws them when they, once they are given, and he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. I want you to know that no matter where you've been on, in your life, you still have a call of God on your life. And, if, and there are people that walk away from the call of God, guess what? It's still there. Because God does not take it back. It's the one gift he doesn't take back is the call of God. And so we have that promise. Again, he would have the right, but he has, he has made that declaration that he won't take them back. That's just the amazing love and grace of God that even when we fail him, he doesn't take back his gifts. So, does God ever directly cause us pain and suffering? We know he didn't in this case. He allowed it, which we'll touch base on. But does God ever directly cause pain? Very good point, yes. And so there's no doubt, another C.S. Lewis quote, pain is God's, uh, what do you call a 
megaphone to a deaf world. Pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. God uses pain to wake people up and to get their attention. And, you've, and you're right, and you've got scripture to back you right here. Hosea 6.1. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. How does that feel that he has injured us? Now, he'll bind up our wounds, but I don't know. Does God really injure us? Right? Yes, and, and so God may cause some pain to protect us from greater pain, from greater loss. And part of that is discipline. Look at Hebrews 12, 5, and 6. And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. True. <laughs> the yes. Yes. Now that's fascinating. So God was using it and so was the devil. Now God's always got a good purpose. The devil has a bad purpose. And so you're right, Ike. God's goal was to get them to repent. That's all. And if you repent, you'll have all these blessings. You'll have the land. And so he did bring discipline and punishment and suffering to the Israelites to try to get them to turn around. And so if God causes us any pain, it's for our good. And he may be trying to turn us away from something, and so we need to pay attention to the pain. Yes. Yes. Amen. And, and that's an excellent point. Let me, let me share something personally, and then I'll try to close this out. Well, I, don't, I, can't, I won't finish it. But so, um, you know, I'm of, of the age I can speak about physical maladies. Right? So we, you, you got to get to that place where you can talk about all your pains and aches and pains. And so I have, you know, I've had two shoulder surgeries. This one's about 90%. This one's maybe 70% recovered. And then I've had three knee surgeries on my left knee, and I've now it's bone-on-bone -bone arthritis. I've had a surgery on my right knee, and it's in almost as bad a shape. I have a fractured vertebrae between my shoulder blades that I've had since a high school football practice, and so it's, it's fractured vertebrae. And then I have a 
a spina bifida segment in my lower back, a slipped vertebrae. And so at this stage of my life, I am always in pain of, of some degree or another. If one part isn't hurting, the other will take over. You know, it's like tag team. And I can tell you that gets discouraging when you always have to deal with pain. But it also humbles you. And it makes you depend on God. Because what else are you going to do? And my pain is nowhere near what other people go through. You know, except when, a kid, when I get kidney stones. Then it's a 10. Most of the other times it's like a 5, 6, or 7 or something like that. But, but I've realized, and this has kind of just happened to me in the last year or two. I'm falling to part. Uh, but I've had to say, God, I'm, I'm tired of this pain. You know, it, it wears you down. But I, I need to step back and say, God, use this pain for your glory. And use it for my good. And, and in many ways, he has. I, I pray. I, I ask the Lord. Like, like you mentioned, Ron, you, Paul asked the Lord to take it away three times. And, he, and God said, my grace is sufficient. And so God wants to bring us to a place, whether it's physical pain or tragedy, that we can come to a place where we know his grace is enough. Even if God never takes away the pain, if, even if God never resolves our problem, his grace is still enough and he is still God and he is still worthy to be praised. So we'll, we'll leave it there and we'll pick up. But I... I really appreciate your input. I'm growing with you. We're learning this together. And I think this is what Bible study is all about, to really draw the truth out of God's word so we can, so we can live by it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord. And God, I thank you that, Lord, you own everything. We don't, our children don't belong to us. We're just stewards. Our finances, God, you can give them. You can take them away. We hope not. <laughs> but Lord, you can. It's your right. And so Lord, I pray you would help us look at our lives, our possessions, our finances, our children, our families, and just to realize, God, first of all, to be grateful. Thank you. Thank you for giving us kids, grandkids, and parents, and siblings. Lord, and, and thank you for our children. Lord, and thank you for that we have cars and homes and that we're the most blessed nation on the planet. We should be the most thankful people in the world. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us, that even if there's pain, we would turn to you and not turn away. That even, as C.S. Lewis said, that, that any pain we experience would be that megaphone to wake us up. We love you, God. And we want the faith like Job that could surrender and still praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.